Let's take our Bibles and turn first to Ephesians 6. We have been studying the gospel together, and we have moved from a textual study of 1 Corinthians 15 to a more systematic approach to the topic of the gospel. And to be honest, it took me studying this topic for a while before I could get an idea of the scope uh, of the topic and the component parts of the gospel, of the breadth of what we find in the scriptures. Um, so my hope has been to, to really get a good appreciation for what the scriptures teach us about the gospel, uh, not only its specific content relating to Christ's death and resurrection, but all the facets, all the ways that the gospel is used and uh, that it's used as a reason or the ways it's explained. I just wanted to give us a good, healthy understanding of what it is. Last time we were together, I tried to wrap up the whole idea of the gospel that's made known. And that's the whole idea of evangelism. We have evangelists. We have the work of evangelism. We have the call for all people to give the gospel. And I tried to highlight at the end last time how significant, how significant it is um, f- for us to have people who are gifted in evangelism. It's also as significant that people who aren't as gifted still give the gospel because we find, by way of reflection, that we are the fruit of the labors of both kinds of people, people that were quite unimpressive in their giftedness, but they were faithful. And then some, at times those who were quite gifted and we were the fruits of their labors. Um, this afternoon, I want us to consider uh, the value of the gospel again. We touched on that in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul asserted that the gospel was a matter of first importance. Now I want to reinforce that point today. Ephesians 6, 19 and 20 say this, The gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. So my dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, let's consider the value of the gospel again. Father, help us as we go through this study. We ask that you'd use it in our hearts to um, sure up probably what we would already hold to, but reinforce it and also uh, strengthen us, Lord, towards what you want us to think and to do and to believe. And uh, if we need to make any changes, that we would be um, willing to do so. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. In the unfortunate event of a house fire, and let's say that the house is your house, and let's say you had enough time to grab one item before you left the house, what would you grab? What would you choose? Now, if your family members were all out of the house, you might grab something that was really expensive or something that was particularly sentimental on the way out. But perhaps the greatest test of what we would value is if we found ourselves outside our home and it was on fire. What would be so valuable that we would risk entering a burning building to retrieve it? That would show what we value. And you and I value what we're willing to take risks for, what we're willing to risk our life for. Now, since none of us are firefighters, running into burning buildings is not a common experience for us at all. But you and I make decisions each day that put us at risk. We live in unprecedented times that put us at risk. 
And whether we're in the fire or we face entering fire, we have to know what we value. We have to know what we ought to value. Now, because of our Christian upbringing and our, the clear teaching of God's word, we know that God is what is most valuable in the universe. He made us, and he made us for himself. And all is supposed to bring him glory, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Romans 11.36, from him and through him and to him are all things. Okay? We know what is most valuable. It's God. Now, ungodly people don't live for God, obviously. So, for example, Ahab lived for what he could have. He wanted to have a nearby vineyard, so he was willing to kill in order to secure Naboth's vineyard. Or you have an ungodly person like Pilate who valued his position as a ruler. So when he was faced with the angry Jews ready to riot, he gave in to their demands for Jesus to be executed. He didn't want to lose his position. So obviously ungodly people don't value God, but such can also be the case for professing religious people. Think about the Pharisees who were the uber-religious of their day, they valued their power because the scriptures say that they delivered Jesus over to be executed out of envy. They realized that Jesus was getting power, that he was getting popularity. They realized that they were losing ground to this nobody from Nazareth. They also valued popularity in that they were regarded as the most religious of their day because they kept the traditions, which those were the fences around the law. Yet what they did was set aside the commandments of God in order to go about their religious rules. So they, they valued some things, but not the right things. We think about the rich young ruler. He was a person who valued property. Jesus made him aware of that by calling him to sell all he had and to follow him. He didn't value the right thing. So obviously ungodly people don't value the right things. Professing religious people can value the wrong things. But it's even possible for truly religious people to value the wrong things. Think about the disciples. Even up until the last moments before Jesus goes to the cross, they valued a change in politics. What they wanted was away with the Romans and in with the kingdom. Uh, and in that kingdom, I would really like a prominent place, they thought. To the very end, they wanted to know who would be the greatest. Of course, Jesus is focused on the cross, whereby man is able to be forgiven of all of his sins. But the disciples were arguing about politics. So there are many, many examples in the scripture and many more that we could talk about. But what we need to realize and agree upon is this. It is possible and perhaps even probable that people value the wrong things and or the right things to the wrong degree. That is, we may not be spot on when it comes to valuing what we should value. How can we know what we should value? Obviously, we can know by the precepts of God's word and the patterns in God's word. The good news is that there is consistency in both the precepts and the patterns when it comes to what we ought to value. That is, it's not like the message of Jesus and the message of the apostles in some way contradicted each other. Neither were there crusades among the apostles for pet issues, like one person was really concerned about the treatment of widows, and the others were really concerned about the daily distributions of the Hellenists. 
There was an understanding of the things that were good, but there was also an agreement about what was best, what was most valuable. And we're trying to discern from the Bible's precepts and patterns what is best. Let's begin by listening to what Jesus said. This is Mark chapter 8, verse 35. Jesus said, whoever would save his life will lose it. Familiar words. Now listen to the second part carefully. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So Christ taught his disciples to value him and the gospel most. It's no surprise that Christ inserts himself in this statement because there's nothing greater than himself. They ought to be willing to lose their life for him because he's the greatest thing there is. But by saying the gospel, by including the gospel here, he elevates it. He makes the gospel of greatest value. And its value is calculated by the fact that they should be willing to lose their life for it. So remember that burning building? You see, when the stakes are life and death, what is truly valuable comes to the forefront. And Jesus asserted that the gospel is most valuable. Mark 10, 29, 30, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now and this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. And it's in that that Jesus is asserting the value of the gospel because it is great sacrifice for it that will be greatly rewarded. Now, as we think through history, there are many good and noble things that people have fought for. Just for example, William Wilberforce fought for the complete abolition of slavery in Great Britain. And that was an indeed a noble thing because of a cause like that has underpinnings in the law of God that we value instead of harm human life. Or we think about William Carey, the missionary to India, who fought for the abolition of sati. That was a Hindu custom where widows would be sacrificed atop their husband's funeral pyre. Just a wicked, wicked practice. But again, in this case, the value of human life is a wonderful and commendable thing. But if we were to ask Wilberforce and Carey what is more valuable, they would both agree that the gospel ministry was of greater importance. The abolition of slavery and sati, those are healthy extensions of this temporal life, which is a good thing. But in the gospel of Jesus Christ is abundant eternal life, which is far superior. So, was it true that Jesus went about doing good? Absolutely. But the greatest good that he did was in going to the cross. And we must take that and what he says about the gospel to heart and into our consideration. And what we have to allow it to do is fall upon us in such a way that it displaces things that are of as much value. That's to push everything else aside. So that, that is to say, would the people closest to us and would the people watching us from a little bit farther away say that the gospel is what we value the most? Or would they say that we value something else? And if we struggle to come to an answer to that question, let's just consider that people make judgments about us based on what we say and what we do. You see, 
they can't hear the way we're responding in our hearts in this moment as we hear Christ say that the gospel is valuable. They can't hear that. They can't see that. But they can hear what we say. They can see what we do. And may we pray that they would see and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ as what's most valuable to us. Because the precept that Jesus laid down needs to be practiced in our lives. That that is what's most valuable. Now, as we read through scripture, we find that the proclamation of the gospel was something that was very costly. And that's really strange to us. Because you and I really don't think that proclaiming the gospel is going to change our diet. As if we're going to lose a meal. Or it's going to change our living situation as if we're going to lose our home. Or it's going to change our livelihood as if we're going to lose our job. We really don't think that. We live in a bubble in America where our lifestyles really aren't threatened by our testimony. Yet, that could be a sad commentary upon a poor testimony. But let's just consider from scriptures that there's a plain pattern. This is 2 Timothy 1. 10 through 12. This is where it says, The gospel, Paul speaking, for which I am appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. For the sake of the gospel, he is suffering. And what we find in the pattern in the scriptures is that the apostles suffered for the sake of the gospel, thereby showing its superior value. So let's retrace the life of the apostles, but particularly Paul who suffered for the gospel's sake. He suffered in particular by being imprisoned because of it. We have four books of our New Testament, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, are known as the prison epistles because Paul wrote them in prison. And each one of them connects imprisonment to the gospel. Ephesians 6, 19 and 20, the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. He's in prison. Because of the gospel. Philemon 1.13 I, Paul, would have been glad to keep Onesimus with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Colossians 4.3 Pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Those are different ways to talk about the gospel. On account of which, the gospel, I am in prison. Philippians 1.7, you were all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Again and again, Paul connects his situation, being in prison, with the gospel. And in 2 Timothy, the last book that he wrote, he does the same thing. 2 Timothy 1.8, therefore don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. By the power of God, chapter 2, 8, and 9. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which, for which gospel I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Paul suffered by being imprisoned for a very specific purpose, for the gospel. And he suffered many other things for the sake of the gospel. And these are summarized in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. He describes these far more imprisonments with countless beatings, often near death. Five times I received 
At the hands of the Jews, the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure." That is not anything close to being an American. But that is pressure, that is difficulty, that's fiery trial, many of which Paul could have avoided if he'd just gone along with tent making. And, you know, maybe mention the gospel here and there. But he couldn't do that because he valued the gospel so much. 1 Corinthians 9.23, he says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. And we have to consider... Can we honestly say that's our confession? That we do all we do for the gospel? Would it be true? Indeed, we are pressured with many things. We live in very unique times that it get fiery and difficult. But it's in these times when, when things get tough that what we value we really cling to. So what do we cling to? Are we going to cling to power, position, politics, property, or to the gospel? Because it really is of supreme value. Father, we pray for your grace and your help to value the gospel. Uh, There are so many things we see in scripture, as we see all around us, of people valuing the wrong things, or perhaps good things to the wrong degree. And Father, we pray that you would keep us from that, We are thankful for the good that is done by many philanthropic people. But if many, many good things are done, but the gospel is not set forth, uh, it won't be good. It won't be good for the eternal um, state of people and their relation with the Lord. And it won't be good for the glory of the Lord who sent Jesus Christ to be the propitiation for our sins. And Father, we pray that we would value the gospel and that our testimony would be uh, that. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.